All right, can you hear me? Thanks, William. I'm not gonna sit on it, it's just my table. I forgot my water, oh well, who cares? How you guys doing this morning? Good, good. Well, uh, we've been talking about, thanks man. We've been talking about marriage the last uh, few weeks. And uh, let me open up my notes here. Sorry, I'm still a newbie. Okay, so we've been talking about marriage the last few weeks. I'm not up here because I'm an expert uh, or anything. I'm walking through it just like anybody else. But uh, I've been married for 11 and a half years to Lauren, and it's been better than I could ever have imagined. Uh, it's been more difficult than I could have imagined. Uh, but it's been, it's the joy in my life. It's, it's awesome. I, I mean, this kind of sounds selfish, but I like myself so much better than uh, who I was before I got married. And she's brought out the best in me. And so that's, that's what marriage does. It's an incredible thing. And so I'm going to focus on the purpose of marriage and uh, friendship. <clears throat> so uh, we've been looking at this verse in Ephesians 5. And uh, we're just seeing what God says about marriage and how to make his uh, crazy plan work. So let's read it. <clears throat> and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians on how to be married. There's a group of people that didn't know what uh, Christian marriage looked like. They grew up in a world where women had no value, they were possessions, and marriage was... Uh, it was a form of status. It was a form of uh, kind of a way to possess the women you wanted and to ensure that you got heirs for all the wealth that you were accumulating. Um, I think in this day and age, marriage is still viewed as a way to possess a person and elevate your own status. Uh, sometimes in our culture, we're looking at it uh, to check off our box in pursuit of our personal success or fulfillment. And I think people have gotten smart and said, well, if that's the point of it, uh, a lot of people have decided they don't even need marriage. They can get all that without it. But marriage done God's way is way better than you could ever imagine, just like in my case. Uh, so I'm going to recap on some of the themes we've talked about the last couple weeks. We've talked about submitting to each other out of reverence to Christ. And the number one problem in your marriage is, anybody remember? Selfishness. That's right, somebody remembered. So the only way that we can get to the point of submitting ourselves and putting ourselves aside is the work, through the work of the Holy Spirit. We need God's help to kill our selfishness. 
So we also talked about how marriage is not just a piece of paper. Because uh, listen up, my single people, especially my millennial people, because I'm one of you, and I hear this a lot uh, just out in the world, <clears throat> that, oh, it's just a piece of paper. But if it was just a piece of paper, you would have done it already. Because you haven't done it. And it kind of shows that, well, if it was just a piece of paper, you would have done it. But I think deep inside, you know that it means more than that. So the answer is yes, you do need marriage. And you need it in order to love that other person in the right way, in God's way. Uh, the piece of paper is announcing, I give everything to this person. I commit my life to become one with this person. I choose to love even when the feelings aren't there. Uh, because I believe love is a choice. It's not a feeling. And from this day forth, it's not just me. It's us until I die or until you die. <laughs> but uh, if you can't do that for your boyfriend or girlfriend, I love you. But uh, you don't really love them. And if your boyfriend or girlfriend can't do that for you, they're only committed to their feelings, not really to you. And that's not good because God wants you to have that kind of love in your life. He really does. Uh, that piece of paper is also a public reminder, and it keeps us accountable. There's also witnesses there to keep us accountable. And what's the point of that? Uh, so we can't say, like, ah, did I really promise that? You know, there's something out there that says, hey, you know what? I officially said I'm joined to this person. And so it's a good thing. Accountability is a good thing because it helps us in the hard times. We don't want to do what we're supposed to do. Um, so we also talked about for marriage to work, you've got to make it a priority. Uh, it's got to take precedence over any other human relationship. It's got to be first. You've got to make your spouse number one in your life behind Jesus. Uh, and so that idea of priority and a lot of what we've been talking about uh, in covering on marriage is covered uh, way, in way more depth uh, in practical ways, too, in Jimmy Evans' book, The Four Laws of Love. And that's this book. And uh, <clears throat> it's... It's just reflecting what the Bible says about marriage, but Jimmy's put it together in a real organized uh, and like really clear way, and I really like the way he's done it. So his four laws are priority, which we talked about last week, uh, pursuit, partnership, which I want to focus on today, and purity. So I'm plugging this book. Uh, if you're married, get it, read it. It's awesome. It's going to help you. If you're not married and you are going to be one day or you're going to be married again someday, uh, get it. It's going to help you see God's design and plan for marriage, and it's, it's going to help marriage to be one of the joys in your life. Um, we might even have some copies for sale uh, here next week. We're working on that. So let's talk more about the purpose of marriage. Um, <clears throat> well, let's look at the purpose of our lives. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. We were created to be in fellowship with our creator. Jesus says it again uh, in John 17, 3, as he's praying. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you've sent. So that's the purpose of our lives, to know and to be in fellowship with God and this loving relationship with God, because he loves us. He just wants to be with us. So let's look at uh, marriage just for an illustration. Let's look at it as a car. Uh, a vehicle, a car, it's not an end in itself, usually. You don't buy it just to look at it. You buy it to use it, right? And so marriage is actually like a vehicle. It's supposed to get you somewhere. 
And that destination is oneness. It's oneness with your spouse. It's oneness with God. Um, it's a tool to get us to know and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Um, the more you love God, the more you're going to love your spouse. The more you see how God chose you, the more you're going to want to choose your spouse, even when you wouldn't normally want to choose them. The more you see God's forgiveness in your life, the more you're going to want to forgive each other. There's just something about God's forgiveness that just breaks you. And you're like, well, what do I have to hold against them when God's forgiven me so much? So that's, that's the vehicle. That's, that's where marriage is taking us. It's taking us closer to God. And as we, as we get closer to God, we love our spouses more. We, come, be, we, we become more like him. So marriage is not just a baby factory. <clears throat> it's not just what a successful member of society does. Uh, you went to high school. You went to college. You got your career going. You got, you got your wife. You had 2.5 kids. You're paying your taxes. Uh, no, that's, that's, not, that's not all it is. If that's really all it is, it's, I mean, think about it. This is it, and then you die. God has more, more for you than that. He always has more for us than that. So marriage is supposed to mirror the fulfillment and completion that we have when we're, when we're in fellowship with God. And as Randy says, it was designed to beat the hell out of you. I love that quote. So how does this happen? Through love and friendship. Actually, that's how God does everything. He always does stuff through love. He's awesome that way. Um, he, in, verse, in this verse in Ephesians, we read it says that God is washing us with the water of his word to make us holy. He's making us faultless without blemish. And so how does he do that? He says, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through another person who's totally different from you, loving you and committing to you, even when you're not that great and when you suck. And I'm going to have you completely put yourself aside, be completely committed to, the, to love that person when they're unlovable and when they suck. And I know this is going to get you to me because you need me for all of it. And it's going to tell the world about the kind of love that I have for you guys. So God's plan is kind of crazy, right? But God's ways are crazy. Uh, you know, he, he said, look, I'm going to make a covenant with the people who have no capacity to hold up their end. And then I'm going to take care of their end for them and I'm continue to serve and to love them until they see clearly how much I love them. So yeah, God's ways are crazy, but they're loving and they're good. Amen. So uh, Jesus says in John 13, 34 through 35, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And John 15, 12 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is my commandment, love each other. So we need to love each other the way God loves us. That's a big, it's a tall order. It's impossible to love that way without God. But we still try to run marriage without God in the picture. Your love isn't enough. It's never gonna be enough. It's God loves, it's God's love that makes marriage work. But Again, we try to do it anyways, right? So uh, let's look at it. marriage like a vehicle again. It's like taking the manual, throwing it away, uh, filling the gas tank full of chocolate syrup, and then griping from the back seat at each other that the car's not going anywhere. It doesn't work. God makes this work. God wants you to love each other, and God intends for you to be friends. So Genesis uh, 2.18 says, 
It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So God looked at Adam and said, not done yet. It's not complete. It's not a full picture. No creation, uh, no creature in all of creation was good enough. So he created Eve to be Adam's best friend and to complete Adam relationally and reflect the whole picture of God's image. And uh, so I'm about to slap down some of Hollywood's greatest hits. Uh, <laughs> marriage, the core of marriage is not romance. It's not. We always want to look at that as the, it's like, oh yeah, you know, that's it. That's romance. No, the core of a marriage is friendship. It's deep friendship. And I just think it's real funny to see uh, Facebook posts and like even on TV, it's like, I'm marrying my best friend. You know, and you're like, well, you better be because that's the only way it really works. They say it like it's a new idea, but it's for those of us who've been doing it a while, they're like, yeah, uh, you're in trouble if you're not marrying your best friend. Um, so uh, romance, if you look at romance, right? Romance is attraction and feeling, and it's gushing, and it's like, oh, you know, oh, it's wonderful, but it's not everything. Uh, if we go back to looking at marriage like a car, uh, trying to base a lot of your marriage on looks and attraction and the, the feelings. Uh, it's kind of like expecting marriage to be like a fancy sports car when uh, your marriage is growing and your life is growing and trying to fit your growing life into uh, your Corvette. You know, where are you going to put the kids? In the trunk? I mean, if it's convertible, that trunk's really small. Just saying. So uh, it's, it's, it's not practical. Uh, marriage is a relationship that grows, and romance is an aspect of it, but in itself, romance doesn't have the capacity to handle all the growth that needs to happen in you guys and in your marriage, but friendship does. And really, the deeper the friendship, the deeper the romance. Um, say, let's look at romance. Romance is like the tip of the iceberg when you look at a marriage, uh, but under the surface, you have this deep friendship with commitment, with history, with wins, with losses. And that's, friendship is the only thing that can do that. A deep, committed friendship can handle all of that. So if you want to build romance in your marriage, uh, you become a better friend. That's the best way to do it. And romance is like the icing on the cake. It'll blossom out of a deep friendship, deep commitment. So what's a friend? Webster defines it as a favored companion. And I like to do this with words. It's like, okay, companion. So I looked up companion. Uh, companion means one that is closely connected to something similar. Uh, I also looked up comrade. I know it's not a popular term because the Russians ruined it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're not all bad. Uh, it, comrade means an, an intimate friend or an associate. And I like this, a fellow soldier, because sometimes in this world marriage is a fight, so you've got to have a soldier with you. Uh, one of the Hebrew words for friend is ohad, and it means one who loves. And I really like that, uh, that definition. I really like that word. So we talk about friends a lot and say, he's my friend, she's my friend. Uh, they're a friend at work. They're a work friend. They're a soccer friend. Oh, yeah, that's my gym friend. We talk about all these different kinds of friends that we have. But <clears throat> what you'll notice is that your best and deepest friends are connected to you at some level. Um, and that can be whether it's like history and time, be similarities or purpose. And the most intense ingredient or like miracle grow for your friendship or any relationship is purpose. And you see this with people that are united in a purpose that are very different, but 
somehow they end up being best friends. Uh, you see it a lot in the military. For those of you who have served in this room, thank you, first of all. But you've experienced this, this uh, phenomenon. You become family with people that you're totally different with. Uh, and you become best friends as you serve with them. Because you're, you're united in your purpose first, right? And then you create this history together. And really, you just create a lot of suffering together. And that, that bonds you. That brings you really close. And those people are going to be your friends for life. And you know, your battle buddies, you can always call them up. Uh, I've got the same thing in uh, my line of work. I'm a lineman. Uh, we've got a lot of linemen in this church. Some of them are here. Hopefully they are. Because that means they're still alive. Well, maybe they're in the next service. So, uh, <laughs> so we build and repair power lines. It's a dangerous and intense job. Um, we work all hours of the night. We uh, work in the, just any weather condition. Uh, most people who are retreating to their homes and running away from bad weather, we're getting ready to go to work and be out in it. So you end up spending a lot of time with your coworkers. Uh, what happens is they just, they take a group of people who are crazy enough to do this job and they throw them together and they're like, oh, you're a crew. Uh, go work as a unit and get the lights back on. And sometimes that means uh, going to Puerto Rico for a month and living with those guys. But what happens is you, when you suffer together, when you go through things like that together and you're united in a purpose to get the, the lights back on or really just to go home safely, you, there's this bond that's created. And it's, it's really crazy. They become your, your brothers. I'm not like a lot of linemen. I'm, I don't hunt and fish. We don't have a lot of the same... Uh, you know, likes and stuff, but we've ended up, they're some of my best friends. Uh, for instance, uh, Lauren ran out of gas on the way to Austin to visit her friend. She had Etta with her. This is about two years ago, and it was during the summer. So she's on the side of the road at, on 35 in Temple, where there's always going to be construction for all of eternity. And uh, so, like, she can barely get off the road, so she's just barely on the, the shoulder. I'm actually at work, working in Dallas. Uh, I was on call, and I'm at least two hours away. I'm not at my vehicle. I'm freaking out. And then I think, oh, I can call Justin. I used to work in Round Rock, which is, takes care of Austin, and I was in an apprenticeship with my buddy uh, Justin. And, you know, we, uh, we're, we butted heads quite a bit, but we went through a lot together, and we become really good friends. And he was the first person I thought of, and I called him, and he couldn't make it, but he got his father-in-law to go take gas to Lauren. And that's a friend. That's, he's, he's my brother. And that's what happens when you're united in a purpose. It's amazing what, what can happen, who you're going to end up being best friends with. So uh, this is what the Bible says about a, f a friend. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 17, 17. Uh, that's what the Bible says a good friend is for, is for your worst days. The uh, Bible also says good friends are committed to the truth in your best even if it hurts. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. So marriage is supposed to be the most intense form of friendship. Without purpose or the right purpose, it's never going to grow into what it's supposed to be. Uh, Proverbs 27, verse 17 through 18 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. As workers who tend a fig tree are allowed to eat the fruit, so workers who protect their employer's interest will be rewarded. 
So our purpose is God himself. And in marriage, what we promise to do is to get each other all the way through life and to become everything God's called us to be. So in order to do that, we've got to tend to each other. We've got to nourish and build each other up. And sometimes we've got to prune each other. And that, that hurts. But that friend is committed. Your wife, your, your spouse is committed to you. That's the kind of relationship you have. They're not just going to cut you down and leave you. They're, they're pruning you. They're bringing out the best in you. And that's what God intended for marriage. And then through that process, we get to enjoy the fruits of that process. You get to enjoy the, the, the companionship and the love that you have. And then God's going to reward you in the end for presenting your spouse to him uh, holy and pure, more like him. And you're a part of that process. So let's look at covenant friendship. And that's what marriage is, is covenant friendship. Uh, this is from J James Russell Miller. He's talking about Jesus and the disciples. And this is from his book, The Friendships of Jesus. He had taken them his friends. He trusted them wholly. He committed himself to them absolutely without reserve, without condition, without the possibility of withdrawal. No matter how they failed, he loved them still. He was patient with their weaknesses and with their slow growth and was not afraid to wait, knowing that in the end they would justify his faith in him and his costly friendship for them. God's showing us how to be a covenant friend, how to be best friends. So, how to be best friends, because that's what God intends you to be with your spouse. Well, the first step is regardless of where you're at, right now, decide to be your spouse's best friend. Covenant says, I don't care if you're doing your part, I'm gonna do mine. And I just wanna say something, this is not, we're not talking about abusive relationships. Uh, there's special conditions that spouses need to remove themselves from, uh, specifically women. Uh, God does not intend you to be an abusive, uh, violent relationship. That's not his intention. So I just want to make that clear. Um, <clears throat> but for every other situation, you got to decide to be your spouse's best friend, regardless of what they're doing. Uh, so how do we do this? The Bible says that a man is to cleave to his wife. Cleave means to join yourself, to adhere too closely, and to remain faithful in spite of. And this is what Jimmy Evans in his book uh, calls pursuit. That's one of his laws, the four laws of love. So, you decide to be best friends and pursue your spouse. So how do you pursue your spouse? Well, uh, Jesus gives us a great example. Uh, in Revelation 2, 4 through 5, he's talking about the Ephesians who have kind of grown cold towards him. And since Jesus... Uh, since marriage is a picture of Jesus in the church, we can apply this to us. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So it says, go back to the things that you were doing when you were dating, when you first met. Go back to being friends. So to help me talk about being friends, I'm gonna invite uh, my best friend, Lauren, up. She's gonna help me out. Hey, buddy. <laughs> That's what Etta says always. Yeah. Everyone's buddy, so she doesn't have to learn anyone's name. So, yeah. She's very smart. Yeah, it's, she's going to be a really good sales lady, marketer. Hey. Okay, so we're going to give you five tips to building your friendship and becoming best friends. So, uh, first one is going to be study your spouse. Find out what they like. Maybe you haven't done that in a while. Uh, find out what they don't like. Communicate. Observe. Make yourself observe, guys. Pay attention. If you're committed to be their best friend, then give them the best of your 
uh, attention. Study them. Watch them. Be amazing if you observe them and meet one of their needs without them actually asking you. But because you observed it, they're like, oh, he's thoughtful. He's thinking about me. Uh, the second thing is do things together. Do the things she likes. Do the things he likes. Be together. Don't be on a, a hunting trip. Be together. Um, find new things to do together. So uh, like you were when you were dating. Sometimes, you know, you were trying to come up with a date when you were dating, and you just tried something new. It wasn't necessarily anything you liked or she liked. You were just going to go have a new experience together. And really, it was just about being together. You were looking for anything just to be together. So do that. Find out what you love to do together and do it. And, uh, I mean, what, what are some of the things we've found? I've uh, I started w watching... Uh, you know, crazy television with Lauren, because that's yeah. what we, we like. Yeah, uh, well, he knows that's what I like. Yeah. So we watched Love is Blind recently, which was fascinating, um, <laughs> which Tim did not care one iota about it, but he watched it because that's the crazy TV I like to watch. Um, but then yeah. he'll go shopping with me, which he hates shopping, but he yep. goes with me. But I know when we go shopping, we're going to stop and get coffee because that's what he really needs. Yes. And most of the time when we're shopping, we're just spending time together talking anyways and just pushing around Ed in the stroller and just catching up. And then I get to shop. But then he just probably found out last night, I watch cooking shows with him and I don't really like them. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> so, I don't, thank you. I don't like to cook. It's not my jam, but I watch cooking shows for his sake. I just like to and, always feel hungry. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, so that's my sacrifice. That's, you know, that's what I do for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. So, you know, it's definitely give and take in our relationship in all areas. And, and that is definitely one of them. That yeah. If he wants to spend time with me, which he does, we go shopping. And if I want to spend time with him, I, I watch cooking shows instead of Love is Blind. But occasionally we do. But eventually you realize you'll do anything just to be with your best friend. And so to, to start that process, start trying to find things to do together. Um, the next thing is communicate uh, openly and carefully with your spouse. Uh, speak well to each other. Talk to each other like you did when you were dating, when you try and impress each other. Uh, assume the best of each other. Communicate openly and not passive-aggressively. Uh, it's not fair to blindside your spouse with passive-aggressiveness because you're too wimpy to say what you actually thought before. So be open. You, I mean, you gotta be, <laughs> you gotta be vulnerable. I mean, that's your best friend. Treat them like they're your best friend. Tell them what you think. Um, communicate and decide how you're going to do things before they happen, before the heat of the moment. How are you going to deal with family? Who's going to go where for Christmas? What are you going to do when uh, your family asks you for money? How do we handle that? Uh, who, whose role is what? Uh, I think it's important to communicate those clearly, but then not be like a Nazi about it. And it's like, no, you do this. You change diapers. I sit on the couch. Um, there's gotta be some kind of flexibility in there. Yeah. We definitely have our roles in our household and what each of us do um, because his job is so difficult. And I think last year he worked an average about 60 hours a week. And so then I'm home with Etta and our schedule's crazy because Etta has so much therapy. But he definitely, he doesn't ever come home and he's like, I've been working all day. And I'm like, in my mind, I have two because of the amount of stuff that Etta has to do. 
but he, there's definitely ebb and flows and there's seasons where he's helped more and there's been seasons where he's definitely helped less, but it's never been like, you always do this, so I'm not touching it. Because yeah. I'm more the financial person. Um, I'm better with numbers, but he's more frugal. So we make a good team. Yeah, because I just say no all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't, he doesn't do math well, so I handle I the finances. Um, and so, but then there's been seasons where I've been so stressed out that he took it back over. And then I quickly got less stressed and took it back because he wasn't as good with it. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, but there's just been seasons where things have to change. We've been in a church where they, um, this guy was very outspoken, and he told us that we need to be having sex every 72 hours. There's times I don't even Sounds see like him a good in 72 deal hours. Yeah. And for us, putting that kind of rule on our marriage was just, like, super stressful to me. And it was, like, at 48 hours, I was like, oh, gosh, in the next 24 hours, we've got to figure this out. And I was just like, <laughs> it just did not work for us. And so I think that's one of the things that Jimmy Evans said at the EXO conference. It was just like, that is a decision that you two have to make. No one should ever tell you from the stage or from the pulpit what that should look like, what your marriage should look like. It needs to be biblical. But that, there's so much that you get to figure out as a couple. That's the whole point of marriage is that you get to decide what your future looks like and what your marriage looks like. Yeah. All right, the next thing is let them know you. Don't keep secrets. People keep secrets. You could spend months and years with a person but still not know them, right? And that's what everyone says about serial killers and murders. But he was so he, nice. He was, yeah, he was the nicest guy. He was so guy. nice. I'm like, he great was nice because he wanted to kill you, okay? So, uh, <laughs> J.I. Right. Packer says in, in his book, Knowing God, which is kind of funny, it's about knowing God, but it teaches you a lot about knowing people, that the quality of our knowledge of someone depends more on them than on us. Our knowing them is more directly the result of their allowing us to know them than our attempting to know them. Uh, it's not your spouse's fault that they don't know you. It's yours. Don't ask your spouse to give you more than you're willing to give. Yeah. Don't ask for honesty and commitment from them when you're not willing to be open and honest with them. Yeah. Um, it's not right. Uh, the next thing is repent and forgive because you're going to hurt each other because you're human and you're selfish going to happen. And then for some of you, this is the key because you've lost your friendship over hurt. <clears throat> I know a lot about this because I've been through it. Um, I was hopelessly addicted to pornography, uh, even four years into our marriage. And I was a Christian, but I hadn't uh, submitted this stronghold to Jesus, and I even pretended like I didn't struggle. Um, and what was wrong with that is I'd asked for more commitment from Lauren than I was giving her. I, wasn't, I was hiding a whole part of myself to someone who was completely and totally committed to me. And I was being unfaithful with my eyes and with my mind. And uh, there was one day I'd had enough of struggling and losing and being condemned. And uh, I was just like, okay, God, what do I do? Uh, and he said, tell Lauren. <laughs> and this is how marriage has created holiness in my life. That Lauren's love and commitment helped break the strongholds, strongholds of lies in my heart. Um, <clears throat> it broke me to think how she doesn't keep secrets from me. She's authentic. Uh, she's an open book to me. She trusts me. And I wasn't to her. And uh, through this process of coming clean and uh, her commitment to me, uh, God broke this sin in my life. It's not, it's not a, a struggle for me. It's not... It's not something that defines me and drives me anymore. And uh, 
It was all because of her love for me. And God used her love for me to break that in me. Because it just, I got to a point where it's was like, I, I can't live this lie anymore. I can't, I can't be fake when she's giving me her all and I'm hiding myself. So it, it was a process to go through all the damage and to sort through it all. So of course, this blindsided me. We'd been married for four years at this point. We dated for three, so we've been together seven years. And so uh, it totally came out of left field because I gave him so many opportunities to come clean. I would be like, hey, is this anything you struggle with? And he'd be like, no, not at all. I just, yeah. not my struggle. Like, cool. Like, I got the one guy in the world that doesn't struggle with this, you know? And so I, over the four years, I just would occasionally ask, give him an out when I wouldn't be upset about it. And so when this came out that he'd not only been addicted our whole marriage, but our whole dating relationship, it totally just, just came out of left field for me. Because we had waited to have sex till we got married, I felt like I was safe. Like, well, if he's willing to wait to have sex, then obviously he's not doing this like he says. So that's not the problem. So, and if you know me, I'm the outspoken one, and he's yeah. the sweet one. And so then I'd put him on a pedestal, I guess, for that reason, is that he's perfect and he's sweet. And like that day, that pedestal just was destroyed. And so I didn't handle it good at first. I asked him to leave the house because we were selling the house. So I was like, hey, man, this is so perfect. Just in my mind, I was like, Jesus set this up perfectly. I don't even know him anyways. I don't know anything about him. Everything he's told me is a lie about himself because I just felt like this whole part of him was just exposed and I didn't know who Tim was. Yeah. And so I asked him to leave the house. And so within about a week or so, our, we went to our pastor. We were living in Fort Worth at the time. Our pastor, we went and met with them. And so we were, we were close with them and they said, can you forgive Tim? And as I sat there on the couch thinking about it, I was like, you know, in 10 years, I can probably get over this, that he has betrayed me all of this seven years of our relationship. And then I was just thinking, it was like, could I forgive him in five years? I was like, yeah, I could probably forgive him in five years. Married to somebody else, but I can forgive him. You know, I was just like, <laughs> I'll be moving on. Um, and I get the dog, you know, I was just like, and so, and then it was like, well, what about in one year? And I was like, yeah, I think in a year I could move on from this and feel, not feel the betrayal. And just because it wasn't just the pornography, although I do feel like pornography is a big issue. It was this, the amount of lying and the amount of times I'd given him outs. Yeah. And then the way he had made me feel, because I felt like, hey, I'm chunky. I know he's not looking at chunky girls. And so then I was like, does he even like me? Am I what he wants? And so for me, it was just so many more issues about my body image, about our relationship about our sex, and I was thinking, I'm never going to be that person. Yeah. I'm never going to pull out a whip. You know, it's just not going to be me. <laughs> you know, just not going to do it. So I, then I felt like the Lord said, if you can do it in a year, if you can do it in five years, why not today? And I was like, well, I never thought about that. <laughs> and so I felt like, okay, that makes sense. If I can get over this eventually, why not today? And so I forgave Tim that day, sitting on their couch, but there was still a process. There was still times where I said, oh, I'm just really pissed off today. Yeah. I'm having a bad day. I ate 10 donuts. <laughs> I'm having, you know, I feel like, do you really, are you okay with the way I look? Or is this, and you know what? He never said, I already apologized and you already forgave me. You need to move on. He said, you're right. I messed up and I'm sorry. And then six months later, I'd be like, 
I'm so mad at you, you know? Like, that just, just makes me mad to think you were getting up in the middle of the night and leaving me and going and doing that. And yeah. he said, you're right, I'm sorry. And so I think it takes, and because I'm not Jesus, every day I'd have to forgive him for a long time. And I'm over it now. And it's only been eight years. No. <laughs> yeah, it's only been eight years. I'm over know. it now. Um, You're the math person. Yeah. <laughs> Four plus eight, yeah. So I think, you know, I'm over it. And, but there's just day, there was days in that beginning stage where it's regardless if it was an affair or pornography or something even bigger and worse, that there's days that it does come back up. And that you, because I'm not Jesus, and I don't just say, I forgive you and I'm over it. Jesus never brings it back up. Yeah. He lets your sins go. Um, I'm human, and the devil taps on my back and says, but what about the pornography? Yeah. You know, and so there's days, and so thankfully Tim has been continually <clears throat> asked for forgiveness, but I've also had to continually forgive. Yeah. Yeah, and we got, we got through it. Yeah. And it was because of God working in our lives. So this is, this is a good, good guidelines for how to repent with your spouse because they're not Jesus and it's not forgotten and gone. Acknowledge the truth over and over. Admit you were wrong over and over and adjust your direction over and over. Keep working at it. Every time they bring it back up, don't say, hey, I thought we're past this. They're like, yeah. Because the fact is that you did sin. You did cause that hurt. I did. I caused that hurt. And that's the truth. And I'm going to acknowledge that, yeah, that, that's the truth. I did that. And it was wrong. And I'm sorry. And I never want to do that again. And, I mean, that's, that's part of admitting you're wrong over and over. And adjust your direction. And you, you'll, you'll see where you're at now. You'll see a transformation in your, your marriage. Because that's God's plan at work in your marriage. Yeah. So, recap. Five things that will build your best friendship. Study your spouse. Do things together. Communicate with care and openness. Let them know you. Let them know who you are. And then repent and forgive. And I just want to say, God loves your marriage. If you're married, uh, even as you are right now, if you're struggling, God loves your marriage. There's no bigger cheerleader in the universe than God for your marriage. You are married to who you're supposed to be married to. That is the person God designed and destined you to be with, the person that he created to be your best friend, uh, the person that he wants to complete his image with, with you. And it can be better than you can ever ask or imagine because that's how God is. We think that God is like, oh yeah, he just wants me to do all these obligations. No, he intends so much more, he intends so much more joy and love and growth in your life than you can even imagine for yourself. So be encouraged and know that God loves your marriage and he's your biggest fan. If you're not married yet and you know you're supposed to be, get married. Don't wait for the big wedding. Go ahead and get it done. I'll be there. You know, uh, it's like, don't wait. Yeah. Don't, don't make excuses because that's the kind of love, that's a process God wants you to be on yeah. um, if you know that's you. So anyways, I'm gonna pray and uh, yeah, then we'll be done. Lord. And if you need prayer, we'll oh, be yeah. up here tomorrow. I'll be up here at the end. I'm gonna hold your hand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much for marriage and uh, this gift of marriage that brings us to you, Lord, that changes us, that you use it to show us your love. And as we, 
as we do marriage, God, we experience more of your love and we understand more about you and how much you love us and what covenant means and how much you're committed to us. And I just thank you for that. And I pray for marriages right now, Lord, that are struggling. God, that you would be with them in a tangible way, God, that your presence would fill their marriage, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and revelation of who you are and how much you love them and how committed you are to them, God. I just pray for faith to rise and that they would know that you are their biggest fan. You are their biggest cheerleader and you have everything they need to make their marriage work and to be a joy in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you guys are dismissed.